Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, TNT analyst Kevin McHale. Well, I tell you what, for Vikings fans... Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Back again. Hangtime podcast. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, live no. and direct from New York. What's happening, sir? About ready to have our summer vacation now. There is no. What are you talking about? You didn't hear the the finals. They're gonna start it back up. It's gonna be a best <laughs> of seventy. We're gonna just play it out through the summer. <laughs> NBA finals wrapping up. The Dallas Mavericks, uh, crowned champions of the NBA this year. Sur- a surprise champion, probably to a lot of people. If you'd have taken a poll of who you thought would win it, uh, you know, prior to the start of the season, Lang. But this thing was coming since last week. Uh, after we finished up last week's show, it was pretty obvious that the Mavericks were a team to be reckoned with. And I think maybe the Heat didn't notice that or recognize it, you know, as soon as they should have because it, they just did not play well down the stretch of these last three games. The Mavericks, you know, took them to pieces basically um, at crunch time in all of these games. But bigger storylines – Unfortunately, when you know we don't spend all our time celebrating the team that won, um, so much chatter about what went wrong with the Heat and the Big Three and all that good stuff. I don't know if you guys saw it last night, Micah. You may have seen this. Did you see how broken up Bosch was after the game? Like you know, in the hallway, walking to the locker room. Yeah, like fell out on the ground. I mean, I I felt I I felt bad for him last night. I woke up this morning. I was still feeling bad for him. He's the only guy that looked like. He looked like a guy who lost the state championship game in high school or something. I don't have a problem. I didn't. I didn't have any problem with him reacting like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I just felt horrible for him. I mean, uh, it's a. It's the first time all year. I, I really looked at it and thought, man, this. You know, this dude put so much into the season. You feel horrible to see it. See it in like that for him. Yeah, and if I mean, if guys, if it bothers you, good. It's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to feel bad when you lose a game like that, and and I. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I saw some people on Twitter making jokes about it and stuff, but I, I thought, you know, that that's okay. You're supposed to feel bad when that happens. And, um, but I think we should, let's talk about the Mavericks for a minute. Can we oh, do that? You listen to you. Here we go with your little, uh, I want to talk about, let, let's not talk about, let's not, let's avoid the giant elephant in the no, room. No, we got, hey, we got plenty of time. <laughs> we got plenty of time of to talk about your elephants. Of course, we're going to talk about the Mavericks, you know I mean? And then 
nobody talked about him enough leading up, and that's one of the reasons why they ended up stunning so many people. Um, I mean, people know, were predicting them to lose in the first round of the playoffs. Who are you telling? I, co- I covered every game they played in the playoffs. You don't think I <laughs> – you know, I, I've been – I didn't pick them to win the finals. Uh, I really thought, you know, home home court advantage and uh, having the three biggest – you know, three of the four biggest names in the series would would swing this thing in the Heat's favor. But I got to give a lot of credit to Rick Carlisle and, uh, and Jet Terry and Dirk DeWhiskey and all the Mavs, the custodian, Brian Cardinal. And uh, all those guys, man, they played they, – it was like a throwback series for me. It was one of those old-school series where one team is just working the ball around. I mean, they executed so well. I'm very impressed with, with what we saw from the Mavericks. What did they What did they show you in the finals that you didn't see leading up to the finals? I mean, because you did see every one of their games. Uh, you know, if you picked against them – how did they change or how did they improve in the finals? They didn't. That's just, that's the frightening part about it is they did the same thing in every round they did in the finals. They just, it was every opponent. They spent the first couple of games, you know, running through that stuff, dissecting the opponent, trying to figure out how to attack them. And by game four in every series, except for Portland, when they, they blew that big lead, but you know, people forget before they, before they blew that lead and Brandon Roy went to, you know, went into green lantern mode, they had them down 23. I mean, by the fourth game of every series, it became pretty clear that they had a plan for how they were going to attack whoever they were dealing with and that it was going to work, you know. And I I felt the same way after they tied this finals up 2-2. It was the same sort of, you know – you know, trend that I noticed that, Hey, this other team is not understanding what they're, what they're getting into here. The, the one thing Lang that they've done throughout, and I may have mentioned this to you when we were in, you know, um, here for games one and two, I may not, uh, but they play the same way up 15 points as they do down 15 points. Right. And, and it's one of those subtle things that you don't really pay attention to. You know, a lot of teams, they get up 15, they freelance and, and they don't really run their offense you know, like to perfection, they don't run out sets and, and exhaust the shot clock. The Mavericks run the same stuff up 15, down 15. And it's one of the reasons why they're able to come back and manage games as well as they, they did throughout these playoffs because they don't veer away from what they do best. They they stick to their plan. Um, so at the end of games, if it's close, whether they're winning or losing, they know exactly what they want to get out of each and every possession as opposed to – and it doesn't work all the time, but I'm saying – right. They know exactly what they want to get. Other teams, you see them scrambling. I mean, did you see how bad the Heat had to scramble in, in the fourth quarter of some of these games? Because they really didn't know what they wanted to go to. Yeah. It's like a, you know, it's like a bread and butter at the end of these games. You know, it seemed so, to me like, obviously, this title is the cherry on top for Dirk Nowitzki. But I feel like the guy on Dallas that really validated himself more than anybody, it's kind of like what you're talking about, Seku, is Rick Carlisle. I mean, there's a reason that they were always, you know, ha- seemed to have the advantage and seemed to know what buttons to push. You know, I look at, like, Miami. Mike Bibby was giving them nothing, and it took them five games to decide not to play him anymore, whereas, you know, Paige Stojakovic basically missed a few shots in the first couple games, and Carlisle realized, all right, that's enough of him. It just seemed like those adjustments are really what can make the difference when the talent is so similar. Yeah, and I don't even know, Lang you and Micah, you, you guys watch it like I do. I don't even know so if it's so much the the adjustment. It's just that you have to have a feel. Like, to me, the biggest thing 
that that struck me was p- playing Ian Mahinmi and Brian Cardinal in yeah. in a an elimination game. Like, uh, are you serious? Like, the man. I mean, that man put put in some work and pushed some buttons. I, I wrote something about it Sunday about him pushing buttons, and I'm like, he he everything he did turned out right. <laughs> That's hard to do, man. You yeah. you take a couple of guys who haven't played significant minutes at all throughout the playoffs, and you plug them in in the biggest series of the season, in the biggest series of a lot of these guys' lives, and it worked. I don't think there's anything to lose when you put like uh, Mahinmi in, and and if he doesn't, you know, you put him in for a minute, and if he doesn't play well, well, you know that doesn't work. But I, I was, it's making me think. I wonder if coaches can get hot, like players get hot. You know what I mean? Like a, a coach can make a couple of good can decisions. Can he get in the zone? Yeah, like <laughs> for like a couple of weeks in a row, a couple of months in a row, whatever. The guy's making all the right moves, all the right calls. Because um, it seemed like if you can get in the zone, Carlisle was sort of in a zone um, through, just throughout the playoffs, not just in the finals. Yeah, I think, you know, I wrote a long piece about him earlier um, in the finals. I think when we were still here in Miami, uh, we wrote something right before the the start of the series about he and uh, Spolstra and, mm-hmm. and just kind of John, John Schumann of NBA.com wrote the other uh, piece about Spolstra, but it's uh Carlisle's a, is an interesting guy in that no one's ever questioned his X's and O's, you know, for a long right. time, people questioned whether or not he, you know, had, had the right kind of personality to motivate guys and, and to, uh, you know, get his players to go out there and, and lay it on the line for him and all that cliched stuff i think this team and and i was talking about this with somebody uh at practice today sometimes it's the right players at the right time the right coach right time. you know what i mean it's sometimes it's yeah. just that that perfect fit uh you know all the way around that really to me puts pushes it over the top and i think carlisle with this specific group and the way they operated, you know, the, all the veterans, Jason Kidd, you know, yeah. Chandler and all that. I, I just think it was the ideal mix of guys at the right time. And look, and look who they went through to win this, you know, to win this thing. Uh, they, they beat the two-time defending champs. They swept them. Oklahoma City's everybody's pick as the next potential powerhouse in the West. They beat them in five games. And then they go, they go to work on the Heat in the finals. You know, what I mean, they, yeah. it's not like they backdoored this championship, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, they, they went through, uh, they went through a murderous row to get there, and that to me is as impressive as any part of this whole thing that they they've accomplished. You know, we talked a lot about Dirk leading into this series, and and how do we regard Dirk? How do we consider Dirk as a, as a you know, what's his legacy? What, what, how do we look at him long term? And you know, it was kind of like he's done everything except win a title. Well, now he won the title, so. <laughs> So do we? Does this change the way we look at Dirk now? Uh, yeah, I think it does, and I think, I think whether they won the title or not, Dirk kind of changed some perceptions about himself throughout these playoffs. Yeah, um, and shed some of the, that that foolish he's soft and all that other stuff that people used to like to throw at him. You know, it's five years since he was, you know, on on the final stage and didn't have the kind of series he wanted and didn't play up to the the level he's accustomed to, he's he's become a much more rugged, you know, mentally and and physically guy. I think since the yeah. 2006 finals, I just I, I watched his demeanor and how he never 
I mean, he went one, he started the game one for 12 last night mm-hmm. and did not like, did not step back at all in the second half, came right back out firing in the second half. And I thought yeah. it takes some, it takes some serious, you know, Moxie to go out there and play like that after struggling the way he did, man. But he didn't flinch at all. He didn't back down one bit. Well, he, he was getting good looks too. And like, it, it, it's not like he was shooting air balls either, you know, like in that first yeah. half, almost yeah. every shot was like rimming in and out or, or you know, uh, off the backboard and off the rim. Everything was close. It, it wasn't like he was missing by a lot. Um, but I'm sure that was frustrating for him. But, you know, well, they had the lead, even with him playing like that. And I, I thought uh, Miami just kind of looked discombobulated and, and didn't really, you know, seem like they – it was almost like it, it wasn't the 100th game of the season for them or whatever it is. You know, it looked like that we were still in October and November. Yeah, did you – I mean, to to both of you guys, did it look to you that Miami played as urgent as you would have expected in a game, in a game, you know, an elimination game? Because I kept saying that to Sean Powell of NBA.com. He and we were all sitting in a row together with uh, somebody you know well, uh, Lang from uh, Slam. We were all sitting there, and I kept bumping everybody on both sides of me. And I'm like, am I missing something? This doesn't this doesn't have the game six down three two, do or die feel like the arena didn't feel like that there were there were Mavs fans like in the corner of, in, of the end zone like a like a SEC road football game when, <laughs> when Florida's fans show up to Kentucky you know and they and they stay and they take over a portion of the arena well hey let's ask our uh, our first guest this question uh our buddy Mike Wallace from ESPN's True Hoop Heat Index or, or Heat Index that's him. that's him, and he knows what an SEC arena looks like. I, uh, I, stated, you, I know you know, Mike. You know what I'm talking about when you know when Alabama shows up to Lexington and takes over half of the stadium. It's like, did you did it happen yeah. to you last night? Yeah, it's 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 one of those situations, man. Where you know, first of all, thanks for having me in, man. Obviously, you know it. Uh, no we worries. go way back, man. And um, my my thing with this is that you know, I, I know I'm opening up a can of worms when I say this, but. <laughs> Miami played almost like – they almost played like they were playing to get the coach fired, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. you, you don't show up and embarrass yourself, embarrass your franchise, embarrass your fan base, and embarrass right. your coaching staff that prepared you all season long with your back against the wall and come out there and play like that. I mean, yeah. Dwayne turning the ball over, LeBron shooting the air ball from four feet out, you know, the guys yeah. passing up open shots. I mean, it was like they were trying to make a statement. And, and I don't think in, in my heart covering this team, being around them all year, every day, I don't think that that was the case. But I, I, I just think that part of them, something in them quit last night. And something wow. in them, I think what LeBron James had sort of got contagious to the rest of the team. And, and when that happens, man, something something's definitely out of whack there. Yeah. Well, did you think, Mike? And and I'm I'm probably I've probably been pounding on LeBron harder than than I should be. Like I before we even got got rolling today, I I told Mike and Lang that I just felt like Le, LeBron doesn't get enough scrutiny for my money for the way he plays. And I'm like, because he's eight years in, and and people are still trying to say, well, you know, he had a he had a triple double. I'm like, well, he did have a triple double. Well, nothing. Like if I need I need the I need the end result. I don't need the the method to this madness. I need the I need the right result. No, well, I, I think I, I mean you're right about that. I mean there still is um, you know people who would try to defend the guy no matter what. I think for the most part though he does have to face um, some unprecedented scrutiny, some unprecedented criticism. And, and really, somebody said something. I was on a radio show earlier today, and it really rung true. 
the media created this guy, and the media is taking him down. <laughs> and, and, and basically, we never we never really figured out who LeBron James is as a as a player under pressure and what he's all about. I mean, the guy was on Sports Illustrated at 16, so the hype started then. He's 26 now, and, and, and it's still about hype. It's not really about as much substance beyond those two MVPs. So you got a point there when you when you talk about that. But Mike, you know, I mean, we watched him in the the first couple series, and and. He was clutch like, in that Chicago series. He looked great closing out games. I mean, did did you see this coming at all? Did, do you think this did did it surprise you the way the way this series ended like this? Yeah, no, no, I, I didn't see it coming at all. I mean, my my colleague at, at the uh, Heat Index, Brian Windhorse, who's who's gone back with LeBron since high school, um, right. had a great point earlier. I mean, what he said was that. You know, the the thing about it is he's always playing well when he's ahead in the series. You know what I mean? When the series starts to turn or when it gets tied up and then, you know, the pressure starts to build, you really don't know where he is. And really, yeah, they, they did go down 0-1 against Chicago. But once they won game two and sort of got – because remember, game two he, he he called and talked about how sick he was and how he had the flu and how he wasn't feeling well. And he had that as an excuse going in just in case they lost game two. So, you know, they ended up winning that game and he played well down the stretch. I'm not here to bash LeBron. I, I like the guy. I still think he's a phenomenal player. But I, I just think he's not the, the, the end-all, be-all, alpha male dog under pressure that, that Dwayne Wade is or that Kobe Bryant is or even in some degrees that a Kevin Durant is or, or Dirk Nowitzki is. So he's got a long way to go before he, he, feel, he meets that level as far as I'm concerned. So I'm assuming that means you and Scottie Pippen don't agree that he's <laughs> – <laughs> and you know what, Scotty doesn't even buy into that BS that he talks about, man. You know, and, and that's the thing about Scotty, man. Because when I heard it, I almost drove off the road. I, I was leaving Chicago tonight after the Heat clinched that series. He's on Mike and Mike, and I'm like, hold up for a second, Scotty. You just told me before the season, don't even call you until the Heat win three championships. And then, then and he was like, and then all I'm gonna tell you is they only halfway as good as we were in the, with the Bulls. So you know, he was one of the more critical guys of this team coming together and I was surprised he even said what he said back then yeah well Mike tell me what I'm sorry Lane but tell me where this thing goes next and you know what's the immediate yeah. next step in terms of Spolstra and I'm still here in Miami so I'm, I'm kind of taking the pulse of uh, the attitude of people and fans I'm trying to see what what the biggest backlash is going to be right away and how soon the fans down here kind of come down from the, the disappointment of, of yeah. the finals and kind of go back to work and say, okay, what's next? How do we get better? How do we retool for next season? Yeah, and, and that's the confusing thing. And I'm not sure that this fan base down here is is wholly capable, fully capable of comprehending that because, again, you know, it's it's still a lot of people here, and, and I, I might be among them, that when you hear the, when people say the better team won the series last night, I'm I'm not so sure I agree with that. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still not so sure I agree with that because if LeBron James shows up and is even 45% of to capacity, they win game four and they go up 3-1, and we're not even sitting here talking about putting the pieces back together. The, right. I mean, Dallas did what they did in the last two games to take the series. Granted, they did what they needed to do. They were the better team in game five and game six. But I'm not sure through the first four that they were even close to what Miami did. Miami conquered. I mean, Miami controlled tempo. They controlled everything else. But to answer your point, the fan base, obviously, now that, now that it's over with, number one, Spolster's going to come under heat, which right. I've been told by the owner the other, uh, uh, right when this series started, that both Spolstra and Riley, there won't be any concerns about their future, that they're secure, they're set. Um, but beyond that, 
you, you do need a point guard. You do need a center. And, and you just have to hope that the LeBron James that you signed to this six-year deal with the four-year out will eventually show up and become the LeBron James that you hope he could be. And if he can do that, you, you, you have a title not only this year, you'll have one for, for the next few years to come. Right. Well, Mike, if he doesn't become the LeBron James we hope he could be or that people expect him to become, I mean, with Wade and Bosch, I mean, can they figure out a way with what they have to, to get good enough to, to win these to win four games in the finals? You know what? I, that's that's a good question. I do think they definitely need to have, regardless of what kind of LeBron you're going to get, you're going to get an all-star. Yeah. So even if he's at his all-star level and maybe not even an MVP level in the postseason, um, you got enough with those big with those three there. Um, but you do need an upgrade at point guard. I mean, Miami's adjustment to J.J. Barea <laughs> was sending out Eddie House, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Eddie House was chasing everybody around and kept getting jumpers buried in his face, man. I mean, but whether it was Barea or whether it was, you know, whether it was uh, Jason Terry, you know, they mm-hmm. need a defensive-oriented point guard. I don't even care if it's somebody, you know, like an Earl Watson, you know what I'm saying, or, or, or something like that. I mean, it's got to be somebody who's willing to step up and take the defensive challenge at point guard. They need Dwayne Wade to say, all right, look, LeBron, this is my team, man. I need you to do this, this, and that. I'll take care of this, this, and that. And then this is how we're going to do it. As long as those two guys are sort of juggling whose role this is and the same stuff that happened in game one happened in game six of the finals. You can't do that. It can't be that way. Well, let me me ask you this, Mike. Did did Chris Bosh – I mean, I'm looking for silver linings here now, obviously, but did Bosh shut up his critics at all? Because I thought Bosh was solid in these finals. I really did. I thought – he didn't bang. He didn't go down and paint and and try and play out of character. He did what he does. He knocked down shots. He was, you know, he was in the right place at the right time. He did his deed. Did he shut up some of his critics with his performance in the finals? You know, my, my, initially I jumped right in and say yes. I think he did. Um, you know, quiet some of his critters, the critics. And I, but then when I pull back a little bit and I say that there was a time probably a year or two ago, especially when he had that breakout year in Toronto the last couple of years, where if you had a choice, if you were given a choice between Dirk and Bosch, most, a lot of people would have chosen Bosch. Now, after this series, I don't even think it's a discussion who you choose between those two, <laughs> even, at, even with Dirk at this age in his early 30s. So right. it's one of those situations that, you know, Bosch has to be, he wants to be a member of the big three. This is supposed to be a trilogy. I still don't think his game has rivaled what it's supposed to be with those other two yet, but mm-hmm. I do think that he showed that he could be a solid key piece. He could be, he's, he's going to be the Lamar Odom of the Miami Heat. He's going to be a guy yeah. where you always want a little bit more and, and you see the talent, but you, for whatever reason, it just doesn't come on all the time. But when you look at the box score, he's giving you what you think you need. So that, that's where that's the analogy I give to him. He's going to be this version, this size version of the, the Lamar Odom with this team. Well, they got to let him come to the press conference if they want him to be a part of the big three. Now he, they got Mike. <laughs> and you know what? And you know what? I hope that they stop that next year because I mean, either bring all three of them together, like like Boston used to do, all three. Or just let them do it individually. I don't think LeBron and I don't think LeBron and, and, and D-Way need to be co-conspirators up there at the podium anymore because I don't think <laughs> number one, it's not productive from a media standpoint if you cover these guys all year, and number two, I don't think they're being honest and direct. They, they, it's more about their inside jokes and and, yeah. and you know them talking over one another or preventing one another from saying certain things more so than it is about trying to get a job done up there at the podium. Hey, Mike, uh, this is Micah. My question is, talking about going for silver linings and stuff, when when they came together, there was sort of the thought of, well, is this going to be LeBron's team? Is this going to be Wade's team? I mean, it seems pretty clear at this point that this is most certainly Wade's team going forward, right? It better be. 
It better be. I mean, I, I think the national media wanted to make it LeBron's team so bad that I mean, all you got to do, really, you know, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think that that's even changed yet in a lot of ways because, you know, Sekou was there last night. I mean, uh, when, when the Heat sat down, when both of those guys sat down, the first eight questions went to LeBron. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it, it became more about LeBron. How do you feel about the haters rejoicing now more so than it was about how did you guys lose this series and what do you guys have to do to put it back together? And Dwayne sort of answered the team-oriented questions while LeBron answered the me-oriented questions and how, how this has affected me and what i got to do for myself and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it should be Dwayne's team. But, again, Dwayne has to have that conversation with LeBron, not Pat Riley, not Eric Spolstra, not Mickey Erickson, because those two guys, and Pat Riley used to always say this, iron sharpens iron, metal sharpens metal. You know, the players have to be able to hold each other accountable before the coaches even have a chance to hold these guys accountable. So that's going to have to start with Dwayne saying, look, let's do this a different way to get over the top next year. I I love it. I mean, and I'm, and I'm curious, the one thing nobody has asked all year and, and you and, and Winhorst and Kevin Arnovitz and uh, you guys are the only ones who can answer this. What was it like being around that team all year and being in the middle of this thing? Cause really y'all are the, y'all are the one group of guys (laughs) who would have any idea you know, from from <laughs> really from from the decision on to now, th- this yeah. this must have been a hell of a year for y'all as well in terms of just every day waking up and it's 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 blaring headlines about this team day after day like this. Yeah, it's 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 definitely been um you know it's definitely been a grind, man. I was thinking thinking about it today. I mean, we're you know middle of June and we you can basically trace it back almost an entire year. Uh, to when this coverage and this concept really started because free agency kicked right in. I mean, as soon as the finals were over, or even during the finals, it was always about that 2010 free agency class. So we've been working at it, hammering at it ever for a year straight. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of us last night felt a sense of relief. You know, it was exhaustion. Um, it was, it was, it was, you know, thrilling. You know, it was, it was the best time that, that we've probably ever had, you know, covering any beat. It was the most challenging time that we've had covering this team because we've covered every, like you mentioned, Seiko, we covered every single aspect of, of this, of this process. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and the thing about us that, that made it special for me is, you know, I looked at it like this and, and you were one of, one of the few guys I actually talked to when I, when I chose to take the job, Right. It, it allowed me to, on a game night in Cleveland, for instance, I, I can give you this one quick shot on that. The game night in Cleveland, when they went back there December 2nd for LeBron's first game, most beat writers have to sit in the press, you know, press area and watch the game and then file right at the buzzer and do all of this other tedious stuff that you have to do to make a newspaper deadline. Whereas right. I was able to free, be freed up because I had two other guys there with me to, to get up in the fourth quarter spend the entire fourth quarter sitting with the Heat security staff behind the Heat's bench and listening to all the stuff that was coming at LeBron and looking at his body language from 10 feet away and seeing what he was saying to his teammates. And that allowed me to paint a more colorful picture than the average beat writer would have who would have had to sit at his table and press sin on deadline. So that's the kind of dynamic that we tried to bring at the Heat Index. And I think with Miami losing the way they did in the finals, I think that only makes next year even more pressure-packed and even more uh, uh, intriguing uh, to cover it from an index standpoint. No, that's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And y'all did a hell of a job all year. Um, you know, you know, that, we man. enjoyed it to death, man. It's, it's great stuff. <laughs> and uh, lose your phone for about three weeks, man. Get, get some rest. 
I mean, just play it off. Oh, it's going to be more than that. It's going to be more than that. I'm, I'm, no, going, yeah, I'm, going incog- I'm going incognito for about two months, man. <laughs> you know, throw that, throw that thing out this game base somewhere and, play, you know, play it off, and then we'll come find you, you know, in a, in a few months because we're going to have to dive back in, man. But we appreciate Absolutely. you coming on, Mike. I know how busy you've been today for sure and, and, and nonstop since this whole thing started, man. Great insights as always. You know, we love having you on. So Thanks, appreciate Mike. it, and we'll talk to you again, bro. Hey, definitely, man. Y'all take care, bro. Take it easy, man. All right, now. That's Mike Wallace from the Heat Index at ESPN.com. Great, great stuff. Um, they did it. They did. They did a bang up job, Lang. Um, yes, they did. You know, that was <laughs> as unprecedented as the big three was. Putting together the Heat Index was was pretty groundbreaking in itself. You know, you take the guys who covered both those teams. Think about that. Windhorse covered the, the Cavaliers for the plane dealer the year before. So he covered LeBron the year before and has covered him since forever, since he was in high school. And then Mike was the heat beat rider covering Wade and, and the Miami heat for the Miami Herald. And they came together with, with Kevin Arnovitz. And there's a fourth guy. I'm his name is escaping me. I cannot believe I'm forgetting his name. What's his name? Uh, Tom. Uh, yeah. Tom Haberstraw. Yeah. Haberstraw. That's his name. Yeah. Tom Haberstraw. I'm sorry about that. But, uh, but yeah, you get those four guys together. And they're basically embedded with this team, you know, for a whole year. So. And, you know, when they when ESPN announced they were going to do the Heat Index, I know a lot of people made jokes and, you know, thought it was going to be lame and all this stuff. But I thought they really I, – I thought it was really interesting. And, and they were very inventive about the way they went about covering it instead of just game story, game story. You know, there, there was so many different things they did I thought was really cool all season long. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, it's kudos to those fellas. And, you know, again, Mike mentioned it. Them losing in the the Heat losing in the finals only makes year two of that experiment and that process even more intriguing. Man, it's going to be very interesting to to see where that goes. Let's let's take a quick turn here to talk back about the Mavericks. I thought Mike said something interesting. There's still I, I'm and I'm stunned that people are still act, you know have this idea that maybe the best team didn't win. And I'm telling you, I'm I'm, I'm here to tell you it's the same thing I heard from the Lakers. After, you know, after they got swept by this Mavericks team is that – and it's, it always strikes me. It was the same thing I heard, Lang and Micah, after the 2004 finals when the when the Pistons beat the Lakers. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about us in the media that we, we just have a hard – and I think fans look at it the same way. When we make up our minds that this is the best – you know, this team should win, it's hard to accept it when it doesn't happen the way we think it's going to happen. I don't – I don't know who could watch six games of this finals and and how well these games were played and not think that the best team won. Like the Mavericks may not be the most talented team. They may, you know, they may not even be the most impressive team uh, on the hoof, you know, because you, you take the big three as as individuals and put them on that Miami team and they make any team look better just getting off the bus. But the Mavericks, Seriously, now, I'm, and I'm not trying to be – the Mavericks were the better team. I I don't know how long it's going to take that for that to sink in for everybody, but the better team in a, in a seven best-of-seven series, if my team wins 4-2, we're, we're the better team. I mean, I, I don't know how it, – It makes me think about, like, when I play <laughs> – it makes me think about when I play, like, video games against a friend of mine, and, and we'll sit down and play, and, and if I lose four games out of two – four I mean, if I lose four games out of seven – I still will think I'm better than him. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like you still think, man, you know, he just, this is the right time of the year. And if I was, if I was running all my plays correctly, I, I could have won that. I could have won yeah, that. And, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think it's a, you know, it's part, that's part of what being a fan is though, is you believe in your team, even when it, even when circumstances dictate, maybe you shouldn't. Um, and I think that's, that's probably why he fans, especially don't, don't, uh, are finding it hard to accept this and Laker fans too, I guess. But, uh, but I, mean, I, I agree. Just, just the fans, like it was like the people covering the series. Like we had after that LA series, we had a long, you know, drawn out discussions. A lot of the the guys covering the series, you know, where I don't even know that the Dallas media was convinced these these Mavericks were the best team as they were going through these playoffs. They didn't. It wasn't like the hometown media was picking the Mavs, you know, to win each round. They everybody in the Dallas media thought they were losing to the Lakers. They Everybody. didn't really make it easy on themselves, to be fair. I mean, how often were they in the lead in the playoffs? I mean, they came from behind so often, and it yeah. even seemed like, especially in the finals, like they didn't know what to do with themselves when they got the lead. The second they got a lead, if it wasn't the last few minutes of the games, it was like, all right, Sean Marion's going to start backing somebody down from the three-point line. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying if the results are we keep winning these series – uh, you know, regardless of circumstance, we keep right. coming out as the winner. I, I don't know how anybody could suggest that the better team to win. The Mavericks played without their second best player the entire playoffs. Yeah, Ron Butler was in a suit the entire playoffs. I agree with yeah. you. I don't know why you're yelling at me about it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I, I we do this every year when, and I think it has more to do with the fact that we, as the media and fans, as well, we don't like to be wrong. Like if we pick. Right. If we pick this team to is if we say this is the team that's gonna win, and they don't, then it's like, well, wait a minute, we couldn't have been wrong. So, you know, the circumstances just weren't right. You know, and I I felt the same way before. Uh, you know, where I think to myself, man, that's not the best team to But I don't know how you dis- I don't know how you dispute it when you're talking best of seven. You if it's a one and done situation, you know, NCAA tournament, somebody gets lucky, has a great night. Yeah, I can I can live with the you know well the best team didn't win necessarily but the best team that night won the Mavericks are they have to be the NBA's best this year and I, I thought Bosch articulated that better than anybody last night you know he he kind of said it directly hey best of seven series they they went four two they you know they ended up being the better team and it's probably hard to swallow for a lot of people and hard to comprehend when you don't necessarily see that going in and then maybe that makes what they did that much more impressive as well I think so I, I think you know, no one picked Dallas back in October, and, and no one picked them a month ago. And I think that's even more impre- – to me, That that's what's impressive about it is that um, they didn't care, you know, and they just played the way they played, and, the, and they believed in each other and, and looked like they knew what they were doing. You know what we ought to do? Let's, I mean, and I hate to do this. Michael, we got to look up the summertime predictions. Uh, to see who I, I don't even want to look now that I'm nervous. Now that I think about it, I'm curious where I picked the Mavericks to finish in the Western Conference. I think we should just yeah. look back at who at like finals predictions. Personally, no, I don't, no, I don't want to just see finals. Uh, this, this, this guy. You, you're the only person uh, at NBA Digital to even utter the word Mavericks in and win in the finals. So I know where you're going, Mike, and you can forget about it. Thank <laughs> you. We have a we have a we have a guest on the line. Well, if if it's who I think it is, then we we're in some serious trouble. Because um, <laughs> this guy, this guy maybe was the only other 
only other person at the NBA Finals who caused a bigger stir than LeBron James. Um, but I, I, I think what he what he brought up turned out to be the defining theme of the entire Finals for a lot of people, uh, and that's whether or not LeBron James was given giving the people here in Miami and everywhere else what, what they thought they were getting when the big three formed. And, and that's Greg Doyle of CBS Sports. Uh, and what I'm getting at, obviously, people know about is the the infamous question you asked LeBron. Uh, and, I, gosh, what game was that? After game two? Three. Game three that you, uh, that you just asked? Because the, they won the game, and I still ask because I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the the, the – and and you we talked about this last night the phrasing of the question sure maybe people could take uh you know a little offense to that or maybe poke at that but but what you were asking i thought was legitimate in in terms of lebron was fantastic closing out games in the conference finals and he seemed to step back and step aside in the nba finals that bother, that that stuck out to you then and now that the series is over does it bother you even more that that he, adjust his game or didn't do something different than, than what we saw at the, through the end of this series? Yeah, because um, I, I'm not crazy about LeBron the guy, um, but I do love LeBron the player. I mean, I really do. And it's kind of like watching Tiger Woods or, um, you know, I guess, Peyton Manning or somebody like that. You're watching somebody that you realize this is, you know, this is historic. And, and 50 years from now, we're going to tell people we were there and we saw him and he was something else. And, so yeah, I'd, I'd like him to be everything I kind of thought he was, and and it and I was there also when they played the Spurs in '07 in the NBA Finals, and and I'm and I've been there in a lot of other games too. It, when they they beat Detroit, I think that same year in the conference finals, he scored Cleveland's last 25. So I've seen him be, be clutch. I've seen him do it, but in the biggest stage in the NBA Finals '07, and and now here, much worse. Um, He's not the same guy. Uh, and it, it, this is not a guy, well, he, yeah, he missed the layup to lose the game. This is not one shot or even one game. This is repeatedly over and over and over. It's not just that his shots aren't falling. He doesn't even want to shoot. And so, yeah, I'm bothered by that. Just as a sports fan, I want to see LeBron be Babe Ruth, and, and he's not. Do you think, Greg, do you think part of the reason, like, there's such, I don't know, vitriol for LeBron out there online and, and you know, on Twitter and everywhere else is partly because – he hasn't lived up to our expectations for him. <laughs> you know, I mean, he can be whatever he wants to be, but if he's not who we want him to be, it, it's maybe for some reason it strikes us even more personally. No, I, I really don't think it's that. I mean, we can handle a guy that just doesn't play all that well at, at certain times. I, I don't think that's mm-hmm. what any of this is about. What this is about now, look, that's what we are celebrating. And by we, I mean people. I don't mean me necessarily, yeah, although yeah. I, I mean it was kind of interesting to watch. But people are celebrating that, but the reason they're celebrating, the reason they think it's actually interesting to watch in a good way, is because the decision. Look, it all comes back to the decision. He was, uh, I don't have any of these things in front of me, but, but there are all these um, marketing consumer watch groups that, that rank athletes for, for market value and, and popularity, not just his ability to get a commercial, but how much the consumer likes him. And LeBron mm-hmm. was right up there with, with Tiger Woods. I think they were, and Jordan, they were the three most, most bankable athletes in the world before the decision. And while LeBron still has the Nike commercials and he's not exactly off TV, he's not that guy anymore. I mean, that decision was that poorly done. It was that, it was that awfully done. It turned off 
almost everybody, now a lot of people have come back, and that's fine. A lot of people will never come back, and that's also fine. But I don't think we're celebrating the fact that he stinks in the NBA Finals because he stinks. I think people are celebrating it because they're so upset at him about the, NBA, about the decision and the fact that he's so tone deaf, he really doesn't seem to get it, that why we don't like that. And look, last night, um, I know I'll just keep talking. You guys go have a coffee, and I'll just keep going. But last night, <laughs> last night, LeBron, he was asked a bunch of mean questions. I mean, you know, my question after game three was, was kind of direct and with, the timing was weird, but it wasn't intentionally mean. It was just, here's what I'm writing about. Tell me I'm wrong, but here it comes. Um, last night, he, somebody asked him flat out, LeBron, did you choke? And I mean, stuff like that. And he handled himself well, 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 well. And then someone said, well, what about, does it bother you that so many people are happy that you failed? And his answer was so tone deaf. His answer was, in a nutshell, his answer was this. Look, that doesn't bother me at all, even though we just lost the NBA Finals. It doesn't bother me at all because tomorrow morning, all those haters, they're still going to wake up them, and I'm still going to wake up me. And while that's all true, only a guy who thinks doing the decision on live TV makes sense would then say that last night. Hey, Greg, this is Micah. I have a question. I'm curious for your thoughts. You know, you talk about he's been eight years in his career, and last year against the Celtics, you know, it was like, well, he's been clutch in the past. Maybe this is an aberration. And then even, you know, game four, he doesn't show up. You say, well, surely he's going to show up in game five, and then doesn't happen in game five, and so on and so forth. Are we are we reaching a point with him where, like, he's sort of like his career narrative is in a, is is not the same as it once was, or does he still have time to redeem himself? Well, both, both. I think his career narrative, he's, he's now moved beyond the, well, we can explain that away. Uh, like, the, the, again, the 07 NBA Finals, when he was terrible, he shot 35% from the floor, uh, averaged 22 a game on a year when he's averaged 27 in the season and shot 48%, and he averaged six turnovers a game. Six. They got swept, and in game one he was four for 16, and in game four he was 10 for 30. He was awful, but we all overlooked it because, well, you know, he's 22 years old, and and he's got no supporting cast, and it's his first time, and, and he's got a long career ahead of him, and let's not overreact. And that was fair back then. It was. And then what happened last year with Boston was was really his first just brontosaurus egg that he had laid in quite a while. And, okay, well, it's going to happen. We have no idea why. There's rumors. But we don't know what's going on. We can overlook it because, you know, he's, he's a two-time MVP. But when he does this in the NBA Finals, and, and, and to, to paraphrase LeBron, not once, not twice, not three times, but six games in a row – at that point, the career narrative becomes, you know, this is a guy who's a great player, but at certain stages, chokes. I think there's, there's no other way around it. The guy chokes. Now, having said that, this is not me saying, and he'll always choke. He'll always be a choker. No, no, he could, you know, I think he's a momentum guy. When th- things are going good, he's going good and he gets better. And when things start going bad, he folds. I think if uh, next year they get to the finals and in game one he hits his first seven shots, um, you know, he could go off and have an explosive explosion for six games. Greg, do you feel like uh, this this narrative about LeBron is only is only quieted by championships? You know what I mean? Does it does it take multiple trips to the finals and him succeeding to finally rewrite this narrative? And we've seen it before in sports where a guy has branded one thing at at one stage of his career and he changes it later. Um, but is that what it takes for him to, to shake this, or is this something that's going to be a little tougher to shake than that? 
Well, I don't even I don't even know if it takes that much to shake it. First of all, if he wins finals, he'll start shaking it. But but he's got to play well. H- had the Heat won these finals, and LeBron had had a game seven, just like you know, and game six was actually one of his better games statistically. And yet, Seku, you were there. I, I'm sitting there watching it, and in the, in the fourth quarter, they're down ten with four minutes to go. There's no time to be dilly dallying, and he won't shoot it. He's got the ball in his hands. He's open from three. Won't shoot it. He's attacking the rim. Won't finish because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line. I mean, it was the damnedest thing to watch that last night. Had the Heat won that game somehow and then won game seven with LeBron doing the same thing, that doesn't end the narrative. I think it just extends it that, you know, he's now A-Rod getting carried by Derek Jeter. Um, however, having said that, had this season ended against Chicago, I, I forget if they won that thing in five or six games, but had that series gone to seven or whatever and Chicago had won it, um, but LeBron had done everything he did, which is carrying his team and carrying Wade, I don't think anybody's mocking LeBron right now. I and mean, they might be mocking him. Yeah, it didn't work out for you. No ring for you. But nobody's saying you're a choker because he played so well. But because, because not only did they not win, but he played so poorly that he now has to win a ring and also be a great player winning it. Well, we're not going to get over this. Mm-hmm. Greg, you live, in, you live in Ohio, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I didn't know if you had a are, are uh, you no, back I'm sorry, I, that was a joke. I know you weren't being confrontational, but I, that is um, basically the, the default argument of people saying, oh, no. why'd you ask that question to LeBron? Oh, you live in Ohio, and I know you didn't mean it that my, way, but, but yeah, no, I do. My, my question, I was just curious what the mood, I, I didn't know if you've had a chance to, if you're even back in Ohio yet or not, but what's the mood like there, or you know, how are people in Ohio, or is there kind of people, or is there anyone who at this point has given up on LeBron, or people still harboring uh, you know, ill will against him, or what, what's the general mood back there? I can only predict. I just got off the plane. I'm in my car driving home, so okay. I, I don't know. And I live in Cincinnati. I live four hours south, so I, I don't know what Cleveland's thinking. But um, last night, late last night, I, I did read a story online. I wish I'd written it, but I, but I wasn't there. Dan West with Yahoo apparently yeah. watched Game Six from Cleveland and and described the, the glee. And I can only imagine. Look, the, the hardcore press. Is sitting there, uh, allegedly unbiased, and for the most part, rather unbiased, uh, chuckling over what LeBron's going through because you know it, it's, it's look, it's kind of like Coach K. The, the sports writers from around the country that don't really know Coach K love him. Uh, the beat writers that go around with him all the time have a slightly different you know view of him. It's, some, a lot of guys, the closer you get to him, the more you see the warts. And LeBron's one of those guys. He's got warts, but the average fan's never going to see it. But the people that are around there a lot. So anyway, the point is, if sports writers are going to take glee in it, then imagine what Cleveland's – I can only imagine. I don't think they'll yeah. ever get over this. Until he retires, they will be happy when the season ends without LeBron holding a, the goal, that big gold trophy. Wow. And I, Greg, you also – you cover everything, right? I mean, you don't just do the NBA. So I was, I was curious, as someone who, who – maybe hasn't spent as much time this season as Sekou did or I did watching the NBA. What was your take on Dallas watching them? Were they, did, did, did they surprise you with the way they play or were they kind of what you thought they were? I'm just curious. That blew me away how good they were. I, I, the first time I saw them in, in person was the uh, Western Conference Finals against Oklahoma City. And I went out there um, skeptical of Dallas and expecting to see Oklahoma City win. Uh, and it took one game to realize, wow, Dallas is not just Dirk and a whole bunch of people just trying to pitch in. Uh, Dirk, first of all, Dirk is better than he's ever been. I've never seen a Dirk this good. I know he was MVP a couple years ago, but and maybe he was better that year. I don't know. It, it, but he's so much more efficient now. He, he's changed his game as he's gotten older. He's no longer just running up mm-hmm. down the court. 
scoring in transition and hunting three-pointers. He's now just getting the ball 15 feet from the basket and shooting it in your face because you can't do anything about it. You know, he's, it's like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Skylow. It gets coming, and you can't stop it. And whether he makes it or not has nothing to do with you. It's all about if Dirk's shot's going down. It's remarkable to see how good he is, but then to see the supporting cast they have, all these older veterans, all of them past their prime, but none of them over the hill yet. Kid and Marion and, and Jason Terry, I'm real happy for that guy because until these finals came along, his career was going to be so underappreciated. The guy's got 15,500 points. If he plays four more years, he'll have 20,000 points. And until these NBA finals, I didn't know that. Um, and he, he's kind of like this, this generation's Benny Johnson, microwave off the bench. And so, anyway, they're, mm-hmm. yeah, they're a lot better and a lot deeper than just Dirk than I thought. No, that's good to know. Greg Doyle, national columnist for CBSSports.com. Sir, we appreciate you coming on with us. And, and uh, like I said, we had some interesting conversations since uh, I first saw you in Dallas, and we hope to get you back on here once the season kicks back off again because interesting perspective, uh, different look on this whole thing. And, uh, and, and I, like I said, I like it. I, I, don't, I think it's good to be critical uh, of some of these guys and maybe have a, a more critical eye than, than we see normally around the league because you, you raised a really interesting point, Greg, about – guys being close to somebody and I just feel like maybe we didn't examine LeBron's game as well as we should have all those years he was in Cleveland um there are well, local guys in Cleveland yeah. who who did it and some of us nationally didn't really examine it the way we should have well Adrian Wojnarowski another guy from Yahoo it's almost like I work for them but I work for CBS but <laughs> you know, he was the first guy two years ago kind of saying look LeBron's not what you think he is he's you know he and Maverick Carter and all those guys they're they're a lot more corporate and cold-blooded than we all want to believe. And even I didn't, I didn't like that. I, I wasn't ripping them or anything, but I read that and thought, dang, Adrian, you, you obviously have a bias here. What's going on? Well, the, you know, a year later comes around and, and the true colors start coming out. And so, yeah, some, sometimes – and Adrian had a fresh look. You know, he hadn't been covering the NBA for that long. He kind of parachuted in from his other job, and, and of course, now he's really good at it. But uh, sometimes a, a, an outsider, like me, sort of, can parachute in and, and maybe see things. You see, the, you see the forest because you're not so busy looking at all the trees. Maybe right. I don't know. No, or maybe, maybe, you know what, better point, maybe I'm the blind squirrel that found the nut. Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can have it whichever way you want it, man. We appre- either way, we appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, get home and enjoy your family and enjoy some downtime here for a couple of days if you got it, man. Thanks, Greg. You're dang right. All right, guys. All right. Thanks for having me on. Take See care. you later. Thank you. Absolutely. You know what? Uh, just to make matters worse for you, Micah, to really throw a monkey wrench into your day, how, how's this for a stunning uh, in a in a player in an NBA final series that never stops delivering stunning. Uh, good friend Jamel Hill Lang uh, tweeted something mm-hmm. out. She said she was listening to a local station here in Miami, uh, seven ninety AM, and they talked about you know the Mavericks. Mark Cuban had Live Nightclub on fire last night. Bought the club out. They did a big celebration over there. Do you would you believe they were Heat players at the Mavericks celebration last night? Come on. I swear to you. I don't know I, yet. You know what? Well, first of all, because to, that's okay. I believe it's I believe it's pronounced live nightclub. I mean but, live, I'm sorry. <laughs> my bad. I'm reading, I can, I'm I can it see some like I hear you, but that's some like that's a big nightclub in Miami and I could see a, a heat player. I'll tell you what, Lane, you are t- you are you are such a good human being. You wouldn't want to go out like after after the, you after I lost broke? the NBA finals? No. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. Not with the team that beat me in the club. 
Well, yeah, I might leave if I saw the other team show up. <laughs> I'm just saying, I wouldn't. I don't have anything against going out after the game. They did, did probably. It. They probably could have used a drink. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm just saying. Is that not strange, though? I mean, uh, wow. And it's been confirmed by our main man, Earl K. Sneed of Mavs.com, has confirmed that uh, there were definitely Heat players at Live Nightclub in Miami last night while the Mavericks were doing I don't know if you guys saw the pictures online, but uh, Jet Terry was doing a he was doing, <laughs> he was doing his, his takeoff on, on top of something. And uh, somebody got a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> was he standing on a trophy or on a ledge with the trophy or something? But I was it was like, like a uh, stage or something, and the trophy yeah. was up there. Un- so, yeah. well, you talk about interesting. Boy, you, I can only imagine what the reaction are of some of these Heat fans hearing that. Um, hey, guess what, guess what we got to do? Seen names. I haven't seen specific names, but. Hey, uh, guess what Guess what we got to do next week? Well, what's that? I don't even know what next week is. The draft. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, I mean, we we You're never ready? stop. Yeah, yeah, we never stop. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get caught up caught up on draft stuff here uh, as soon as I can. Um, but an, another uh, piece of news that floated across NBA.com: Scott Howard Cooper is over in uh, Treviso, Italy, for the Adidas Euro Camp, and I believe I saw something scrolling uh, across the, the TV here that Dwight Howard informed him that he will be a free agent. Um, will definitely not be signing an extension with the Orlando Magic and will become a free agent. Uh, I believe you saw that or you saw that? No, I mean, it, I just saw it float across. So uh, so that there's another bit of news that's, that's shaking out today. Yes. I mean, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Mark Jackson be, becoming a coach of the nope. Warriors, which I know is a, you know, um, good luck to him, I guess. Obviously, we, we you know, he's great dude always a good guy when you see him around be very curious to see how well he does as a head coach for the first time um but a fantastic season on top of all that other mess we talked about lane great season i mean i don't i don't want to rank it you know in terms of what i you know the last 10 years whatever but i can't remember one one that was a whole lot better than this one in terms of action from start to finish free agency leading into training camp you know, you get to the playoffs. The playoffs are fantastic. Every, you know, every round you have compelling matchups, and then you get to the finals, and the, and it's as good as it's been. Um, you can't have it. You seriously cannot have any complaints about this NBA season. Can you remember a finals that in the last decade that was this unpredictable? I mean, even the last every the last decade, almost every finals, we kind of knew going into it who which team we thought was going to be in it. Which two teams were going to be in it? Which team was going to win it? Maybe um, when Detroit won, that was the the in two thousand four. Four, yeah. That might have been the biggest surprise other than this one. But I, I was thinking about that last night. I can't really remember one that was this big of a surprise in the last decade. Uh, I guess the, if the surprise was, hmm, I don't know. I guess is the is the is the surprise. The the winner or the fact that these two teams were in it because like to me yeah I didn't I didn't pick either one of these teams to make the finals when the playoffs started I don't believe I think I picked Lakers Celtics in a rematch I don't think I don't think it was that <laughs> so, much I, I did too actually but I don't think it was that much of a shock that that Miami made it 
No, not yeah. a shock. I mean, or so I, I, Dallas making it. People probably were thinking right. Miami had a better chance than Dallas did. But I don't think anyone <laughs> really thought Dallas was going to win it, and as convincingly as they did. Well, somebody did, and he believe me. You realize, <laughs> Lang, we are going to hear about this until the day Micah, you know, gets deported. We, he is not going to stop gloating about the fact that he picked this. It's just um, going to go until my movie gets made. Really. <laughs> I'm afraid uh, to hear about that. No, I I, I did uh, I did kind of try and examine where this season ranks, and I asked it on Twitter the other night, and a lot of people got upset because I said best final since I think I said it after Game Five. I just threw it out there, best final since question mark. And, you know, and people started responding. How about last year? And do you don't remember that seven game series last year? And I'm like, the the dynamics of a, of a fi- NBA Finals are always unique. And to me, this one, when you take into account the the style of play, like the contrast and style between these two teams, uh, the fact that we had kind of a surprise team in Dallas getting here, and and this notion that they were this this huge underdog, then Dirk tears the tendon in his left hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, we just had every roller coaster twist and turn piece of drama you could possibly have. Um, the the part of me was almost sad last night watching it watching the end that we didn't get a seventh game I just you know I was like I could keep watching these two teams go at it you know game after game and, it, and I wouldn't get tired of it I as much as I enjoyed the, the 2010 finals with the Lakers and Celtics I was physically exhausted watching those two teams wrestle each other and you know and they didn't play a really graceful brand of basketball and shoot at some you know, ridiculous clip, and it was it wasn't like that kind of basketball. To me, this was this was a better looking product, even though they they both teams struggled the first couple games to you know to find their rhythm offensively. I just thought the dynamics, you know, team getting down, coming back, big time shot making throughout the series by a lot of different guys. I just appreciated, uh, you know, I don't know, man, maybe I'm just a, a prisoner of the moment, you know, and I like what we just finished more than I like something that happened five or six years ago. But if I look at the finals we've had in the past 10 years and you think about the Lakers went to the – they won three straight. You know, we can go back further. They won three straight, and you knew they were winning all three when they went, you know, beat the Pacers, the Sixers, and the Nets. Was there any doubt in your mind the Lakers were winning those finals? Right. I, you know, right. I don't think so. I also uh, think – Spurs I think, the same way, you know. I think for a basketball junkie, Dirk is especially fun to watch um, because he's not athletic. And he's just going to kill you with like, it's almost like watching a, a baseball pitcher who's kind of past his prime a little bit and he doesn't throw a 98 mile an hour fastball, but he no. knows about placement and, and, you know, changing speeds and, and Dirk, when he made some of those shots down the stretch last night, I mean, you just, at this point, you just expect every one of them to go in, you know, even, even when the guys are in his face <laughs> and he spins around and there's no, he has no room to get the shot off. You think it's going in and most of the time it does. And I think for, for some of us, um, even if you're not cheering for Dallas to win, it, it's easy to appreciate that and that style of play. I, you know, and you mentioned Dirk. I enjoyed watching Jet Terry get his ring and Jason Kidd. Yep. Get his, you know what I mean? Like uh, for for vets like that who have been in the game as long as they have to finally get a ring, it does – you do enjoy some of that. You know what I mean? You do – and we, I know we're not supposed to root for anybody, and, and I always root for the longest, most dramatic, and most compelling series possible. That's my standard 
you know, when people ask me, who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for the best series, best game possible. I want to see the best basketball play at the highest level for the longest amount of time. Um, but I, I can't lie. I did. After it was over last night, I thought that has to feel good for these guys. And it would have been nice to see Mike Bibby and Juwan Howard and those guys get a ring as well. I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's unfair to say that, you know, that you, you know, that would have been a, a nice thing to see as well. But but Jason Terry, you know, a guy, you know, Lang, I know, you know, used to be a Hawk. Yep. Jason Kidd, been to the finals twice before and missed out. Um, I've known Rick Carlisle a long time. I don't, I don't have a problem watching the Mavericks enjoy the moment. Uh, and even Mark Cuban, a guy who five or six years ago, most people wouldn't have enjoyed seeing him get that trophy and then celebrate. But even he did something unique in, in these playoffs by not talking for weeks up until last mm-hmm. night and then finally coming out and really letting it out. <laughs> it's hard. It's not hard not to enjoy the, the, the past two months. And then obviously the 82 game season before that, if you really love NBA basketball, like we do here at the Hangtime podcast. So draft next week, Lang, I, I'm, I will actually uh, be invading your space next week. Um, so Come maybe we can, we can tape it up here. Exactly. Michael, we got to figure out a, a day to adjust. Maybe we can do some live stuff from the draft next week and uh, talk some draft prospects, some other people that are going to be at the draft in uh, New Jersey this year, actually. Draft will be yeah. in New Jersey. Uh, maybe maybe they can do it in Schumann's backyard. Um, <laughs> throw some dogs on the grill and just let them, you know, let the guys posse up out there in Jersey in his backyard and do the, do the NBA draft. So, Micah, you, you get it worked out for us next week, and we'll do some, some live hang time podcasting next week from the NBA draft in uh, – Thank our guests, obviously, for coming on today. Mike Wallace of uh, ESPN.com's Heat Index. Good friend. Known him for years. Love his work. He does a hell of a job. Greg Doyle from CBSSports.com. The lightning rod himself <laughs> comes on. And, Lang, I think that's the first time you probably talked to him, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. He, he, he's actually been on the, on the podcast before. Um, he wasn't nearly as controversial the last time, but, I, you know, uh, uh, like like we said, another unique perspective on the league, uh, and and shared some really good information with us, some good mm-hmm. insights. So appreciate those guys coming on. We'll see you next week. Make sure you join us on the Hang Time Podcast on NBA.com. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com, and for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. Follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at Seku Smith NBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 